talking of characteristic of believers and the way their heart, their mindset should be. And it could be a lot of times the reflection against persecution from non-believers, but also the heart would carry over even into how we treat, of course, everybody, but particularly the body of Christ, right? In particular, because we are to administer to the body of Christ. We're to use our spiritual gifts for the building up and the edification of the body of Christ. And we certainly don't want to uh, <laughs> cause chaotic situations like these believers are doing. So let's open up in prayer and we'll try to work through some more of this as we cruise through chapter six. All right, Father, we just thank you so much for this day you've given us and what a blessing it is to open scripture among believers this morning for us to uh, be challenged by your truth even as I'm preparing for these things and how it shows such a reflection of our heart and our attitudes and and our care and our love and our forgiveness that we uh, even as we are going to see even today how Jesus has forgiven us how we're to sharing that with others and have that mentality just pray that you would receive all the praise and honor and glory for this lesson as we uh, concentrate our, our hearts and my minds upon this set of scriptures this morning in jesus precious name amen mm -hmm. all right so we're going to be thinking here and sort of backtrack just a little bit here uh these disputes these divisions, these factions <laughs> uh, between the believers. And uh, of course, they are taking their situations, their, you know, whatever problems they're having with one another to secular courts. And they're taking other believers to court. Uh, and they're taking them, as Paul was saying here, among the unrighteous, unbelieving judges to arbitrate, to make decisions, to try to use some type of wisdom between believers. And uh, the whole ugly mess, the whole ugly ordeal is being carried out before curious and lost and dying, unbelieving spectators of the world, which is not good. Uh, the world gets to watch these Christians fight it out with one another and these disputes have not been taken to the church as outlined in Matthew chapter 18. So Paul has been saying biblically and basically in verses 1 in the light of our Lord's teaching even in that uh, basis of Matthew 18 about, um, of course, you know, when there are someone sinning now, we know these grievances, and they could be misjudging because they're certainly making some misjudgments against Paul and I also we don't know in particular everything that's going on but we do know this we know even in this section before or in Matthew 18 Peter's question about forgiveness right how many times do I forgive my brother and he says seven seven times seven but really it's just mean continuously or you should have that mentality. You should have that, you know, going on of having forgiveness instead of, you know, and we're going to look at, you're probably thinking right along with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 
about that love and what showing love and the characteristic of love is. But these principles of Paul and these teachings, even in 1 Corinthians 5, if a brother has a dispute or offense with one another, this should first be addressed personally and privately, and it's among the church, it's among believers that this should be done. Disputes between believers should be resolved as privately as possible within the church. And they're not doing this. And so as we even saw, and even Paul has mentioned in chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not accept the things like we do. The natural man does not have the Spirit of God, so he doesn't have the capacity. And the things of God, the biblical principles, those foundational things even are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them, it says. In other words, uh, they don't get it. They're spiritually appraised. And so they're hoping that believers, they're misguiding their conscience and their minds and their eyes on this because how can they think that somebody that is lost, and Paul's already brought out those teachings in chapter 2, verse 14, you know, how does he think that they are going to make those decisions properly? Or why even you know, would these leaders be allowing or trying to direct such. And we saw in verse 2 last time that saints will judge the world even. And if the world is judged by you, Paul says, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? I mean, don't you know that you're going to even judge angels? And how much more matters of this life? And he says, Paul there in verse 4, that judges who are no account for the church matters? How could that be? There's not one among you, he says in verse 5, that's wise. In other words, we could paraphrase that in, in our day's term a little bit. Don't you have enough sense to know better? <laughs> and that might be a little rude, right? <laughs> but what, you got wisdom. you got God's wisdom. And God says, actually, in James, that he gives it what? Liberally those who lack wisdom and who ask. And he will give that. You have God's Spirit living in you. And you can decide between these matters with your brethren and totally unlike what the world can do. The lost man cannot understand those things properly. He will not make the decisions that you can make, that you have the capability to make. So we're seeing that. These saints are going to reign with Christ and participate in the judgment of the world even how in the world can these Corinthians turn now to unsaved people and do this what are you thinking right what are you thinking or are you thinking at all or are you rejecting even maybe some of the we don't know all the details or you maybe you're rejecting some of the leadership there that's telling you otherwise? Are you doing outside of what they're suggesting? Or is the leaders even some of those that you're esteeming so much higher than Paul and even find fault with Paul? You know, or are they misguiding you? So the saints are at each other's throats. And it shouldn't be that way, should it? As the world looks on and they are representing the body of Christ. They're exactly representing the redeemed and they're lacking love they're lacking forgiveness they're abandoning Paul's teaching and Jesus said by this all men would know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another 
Jesus said, I command you that you love one another. And Paul, even in Romans 12, 10, says to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. In Romans 13, 10, Paul says, love does no wrong to his neighbor. Does no wrong to his neighbor. And he brings out in Ephesians 4, 2, with all humility and all gentleness, and with even patience, and it can take patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And so lacking love for one another causes factions. It causes divisions. It's showing lack of forgiveness. Colossians 3.14 says, put on love, which is really the perfect bond of unity. And our unity comes from being on the same page doctrinally and, of course, demonstrating love because he says there that that's the bond of love that causes unity basically where there's lack of love then there is lack of forgiveness if you'll turn to first corinthians chapter 13 probably figured we'd go to that <laughs> and we'll eventually be getting to that section won't we that great love chapter is what i like to describe it of of course we have to remember too that there were no uh <laughs> chapters in the original manuscripts of scripture so this flows and this goes even from all these things that he's bringing out and he's showing what love is all about here but let's just look in verse four through seven there he says love is patient love is kind and is not jealous and does not brag and is not arrogant some of the things that they were guilty of does not act unbecomingly it does not seek its own is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In other words, really puts up with a lot and should sacrifice self, right? And that's a growing thing for all believers. And this is something that they should have been doing. Luke chapter 6, verse 31 even says, do, un, do to others as you would what have them, of course, to do to you. Be like-minded, right? So where are your leaders? If you look over in Hebrews chapter 13, over in Hebrews chapter 13, So where are the leaders in this? Where is their teachings? I mean, Paul has been doing the teaching. Paul is, is having to do them from afar. And he says, would you rather for me to come with a rod or in love? And he's trying to do this, but they, these leaders should be on board and they should be on board if the leaders are teaching them the right things. If you look in verse 7, it says in Hebrews chapter 13, it says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. This is, uh, of course, you know, also what Paul has been trying to tell them. So the writer of Hebrew is saying these things also, imitate their faith. And then if you'll look right over into verse 17, just right into verse 17 says obey your leaders and submit 
to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. So Paul, of course, is definitely, as we see in Corinthians, the, he is definitely, you know, trying to disciple them, trying to love them, trying to give them all the right precepts of what the Scripture teaches and and. Any leaders there at Corinth should be doing the same, shouldn't they? Well, Paul goes on in verse 7, if you look there, and back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Actually then, he says, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. You've already lost, in other words. Why not rather be wronged, he says. What's wrong with doing that? Just why not be wronged? I mean, are you thinking at any cost? Why not rather be defrauded? He says at the end of verse 7. But he says, on the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. So you're doing wrong. You're certainly giving a wrong picture of what's going on. And you're not treating others the way you should be treated, like you want to be treated. And he says, you do this to your brother? Or do you not know, as it flows right on into verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or adulterers, nor infeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And he says in verses 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. So Paul says any Corinthian Christian who takes another believer to court has already lost. Going to court with a fellow believer is a no-win situation. The better way, he is saying, is to take the loss. Just take the loss. So how can this be, right? Well, think of this. When we think of this contrast between the, the believer and the non-believer, or where these Corinthians have come out of, even him saying some of these sins, and it's not an exhaustive list, he said, this was some of y'all before you became believers. This was you. This was your character. And you could even look at it, as, and you're taking this between judges that are still lost, and they could be doing some of these sins. So how can this be that Paul says take this loss or, or it's such a no-win situation? Why would you even do this to your brother? Well, people don't want to take a loss. And one of the reasons is pride, right? Pride, lacking humility. Pride. People like vengeance, striking back. I'll get you for that. Or I'll show you better. You won't get anything over on me. People don't want to let the other person get the better of them. And people don't want to look bad. They don't want to be feel like they have been belittled. And if they are materialistic, they don't want to lose anything. They don't want to lose money. They don't <coughs> want to lose possessions, which could 
seem more precious to them than their relationships with others. And wow, what a shame. That would be very self-centered. That would be very prideful, very arrogant, very self-serving. No sacrificial love. No agape love. Not even phileo love, which is a friendship love, because you're just like selling it. You're saying, I'm going to do you like this if you ever do me wrong. And that's not right, is it? The believer has to grow into and has God's spirit and has that forgiveness that, wow, this is what's steering the course of my life. This is my mindset. I'm being renewed daily, as Paul even says in Romans chapter 12, by the word of God. It's training me differently. It's showing me differently. It's teaching me differently. It's instructing me differently. And my conscience is now driven by what it's being instructed along with God's Spirit, giving me the capacity to be able to do so. And it's not about perfection, but it's a total different direction, isn't it? Yeah, I think what you're saying with the uh, even the materialism and the love of this life, and it really would be a huge test getting into a situation like this where a brother potentially is defrauded or, you know, stole, you know, not paid back or somehow stolen from you. And so to say, you know, what do I really love? What am I really in this life for? And that would be a huge test to let go of that instead of sinning by suing them. And I think it's also interesting as you went further to see the kingdom before we saw them being chided because they were saying the kingdom's now. Yeah. <laughs> but Paul's rightly applying, That's right. you have the kingdom coming. You That's do right. have this glorious future where, you know, untold riches. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, the right view of it then is being applied so strongly here as you'll get to, I'm sure, more. That's right. Um, so powerfully. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's right. And that's why that Paul's instructions to them is showing how <laughs> they have really misunderstood even the terms of the difference of the hope. And, the, uh, and you know, I like to see, see it as the motivator of the future, right? And, and the different value system of the Christian, which is opposed to that of the believer. I mean, that's when Jesus invited men to follow him, they were instructed to take up their cross daily to follow him. So the Christian is a person whose life is really dominated and directed by Jesus as being Lord of their life by accepting and even reflecting on what he has brought them out of and all what the cross meant at Calvary. And that's why we do the Lord's Supper. That's why we do that in memory of all that he has done and even examination of ourselves. So it was on the cross and all that led to the cross that our Lord was wronged and this brought about our salvation, didn't it? And the wrongful death of Christ is established by even Peter. Yeah, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's do that. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2 again this is a good characteristic of what should be resonating in the minds of the believers all that Christ did all that he established all that he went through all that he suffered 
And uh, Peter is bringing this out even in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And if you'll just look in verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now I know he's talking about masters there, but it's still the same characteristic, same mindset, even among other people. It's not like, well, certain people I'll do this with, but you I will not. <laughs> I'm going to pick you out differently. <laughs> and so it's not that way at all, is it? But he's saying to be gentle. And even when people are unreasonable. And then in verse 19 says, this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows and when suffering unjustly. If you feel like you've been done wrong. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. You're taking on his characteristics now. Christ's likeness, being a Christian, since Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you are healed wow verse 25 for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls then if you'll look at Matthew chapter 5. If you'll look at Matthew chapter 5. So in Matthew chapter 5, I mean, this is the reason our Lord taught his disciples not to retaliate, but to even return good for evil. And look in verse 43. You have heard it was said, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and, uh, 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 on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors, the ones that are esteemed the lowest on the totem pole, <laughs> do they, I mean, do not even the tax collectors do the same? Yeah, if you treat or greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect and that word in the Greek is complete so 
they have an advantage to have that mentality, don't they? And I'll, and this is what Paul teaches as well in Romans 12. If you look there, in Romans 12, beginning in verse 17, Paul says, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, <coughs> beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So although this could be implied more to somebody that's lost or somebody that's persecuting, of course, it's the same mindset and maybe even especially more so if someone that's professing Christian, you have some opposition or something going on. Jesus taught that if a man even forced you to go a mile over Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, you should go two miles instead. And he says in Matthew 5, 42, the one who asks of us should receive from us. Our goal in life is not to really just accumulate possessions or to preserve them and to come out on top always meeting our goals, our needs, highly esteeming us and making us look good in the world's eyes when it comes to pride and selfishness and accumulating certain wealth and prestige and going up the corporate ladder no matter who you step on and how uh, conniving or how crude you may be that would not be good, would it? The Corinthian attitude should not be to seek their own interests ahead of others. Philippians 2.1.8 But rather seek the interests of others ahead of their own. And that's something that's a challenge. Love, after all, as we know, covers a multitude of sins, doesn't it? Love covers a multitude of sins. Again, back to the First Corinthians chapter 13, love doesn't hold in account. It doesn't really keep records. Like, I know what you did, and you bring up the past. That's very hypocritical to do that for a believer or even to take other things from the past of a believer. And this is something that we're going to bring out here right quick here. So Corinthians were once sinners, right? Those whose lifestyle was sinful, they had been given grace and compassion and mercy but that was the past. This is the present. Paul's list that he even names of these sins that they had come out of is not complete, but it's, it is broad, isn't it? It's very compelling. Paul warns because sinners will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, unholy people will not be there. And the people that will be there is because of in heaven because of all what Jesus did, having forgiveness, having mercy. We trust in him displaying a faith 
and repentance and living unto the Lord. And the Corinthian church includes those who are really characterized by all these sins they formerly were noted for. But when they are saved, this became a past which should be forgotten and forsaken. And salvation includes repentance. And repentance means that we not only agree with God that we're sinners doomed to eternal torment and that Christ's righteousness will save us, but also that we turn from a life of sin to a life of righteousness. And the gospel is about sinners who are turned from sin to righteousness. And any gospel, of course, that doesn't include this, is a gospel that wouldn't save. The saving gospel is about turning away from sins, it leads to that, and, it, and, and those sins that once dominated, those sins that summed us up, those unbroken pattern of sins. And as we were as unbelievers, what we were as unbelievers even, we are not now as Christians. Our sins of the past are not only forgiven, and this is something they should have been really thinking, they are forgotten by God. And Paul goes on, because so the Holy Spirit not only gives us the ability to overcome sin, but this process of sanctification is ongoing, and it's a separation identity. It gives us peace, gives us joy of the fruits of the Spirit. It gives us assurance as we grow and mature in our battle with sin on a daily basis, turning from that constantly. I mean, think of this even. When men and women are released from prison, people that go to the penitentiary, uh, they are often thought of as, of course, criminals, even though they have paid their debt in society. And yes, some can become Christians, but regretfully, many are still criminals because prison has not produced repentance. And a changed heart to even desire such at best, former prisoners or ex-offenders. But the Christian, the Christian hadn't just turned over a new leaf. A Christian who was once a thief or once a liar, once a gossiper, once a homosexual, is not just an ex, fill in the blank. He's a new creation. Second Corinthians 5.17, the old things have passed away and the news coming and it's already started it's replaced by a new new attitude a new mind a uh, new actions it's all becoming new isn't it a new desire a new care a new perspective on life a new way of treating others what we once were as an unbeliever, we will never be again. There is no second-class citizens in heaven, it's been said, based upon what was once one's practice as a sinner. But the sad thing, and this is what these Corinthians don't need to be buying in using these judges and so forth, and all these seeker-friendly churches that are doing this in the psychological world of our day, what one was in the past to them determines what they are in the present. This is why so much of time 
and money is usually spent on digging up people's past. It makes a great excuse for them for sin in the present. Paul's thinking is just the opposite though, right? Uh, God's word is just the opposite. What we were in the past does not determine what we are today because the cross of Christ separates and brings about a new identity. It separates us not only from our sins, but from our past. Christ stands between us in the present and us as we were in the past. What we were is not what we are. We may not be what we want to be completely, and we want to, we're in a glorified state. We will have those fights and struggles and battles with sin. The cross of Christ is the reason why we can be now what we were not then. And when we were saved, we were completely saved, severed from our past identity and given a new identity. And as Paul brings out at the end of that, I mean, we were washed. We were cleansed of our sin by what Jesus did on the cross. We were sanctified. We were set apart from sin unto holiness. We were justified. We were declared not guilty when we really were. Legally declared righteous. How? Through the righteousness of Jesus imputed to us, placed on our account. And he was the substitution for us on the cross because he was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice. All of this transpired. Every bit of that. All the change, all the newness, all what Christ did. All because who he had mercy on. And he had mercy, great mercy, right? Yeah. So the Corinthians, this should have been the mentality of the Corinthians, shouldn't it? And even the leaders in dictating to them, teaching them, and examining themselves. And Or, or am I showing love in this? Or am I being prideful in this? Am I being arrogant here? Am I causing problems in the church here? Am I being a problem maker? <laughs> There was none of that, though, because they it's like they just pushed out forgiveness that they had received out the window. That's why Jesus really turned up the volume on the man that owed all this debt, and then he wasn't able to even forgive a small debt. Yeah, to resolve their disputes, the Corinthians with one another within the church, to understand or to be misunderstood of taking spiritual matters before unbelievers who cannot grasp the real issues, having no transformed hearts, no transformed minds, and that the legal system deals with the protection of men's rights and the seeking of one's self-interest, while the gospel is about the surrender of one's rights and seeking the best that would glorify God in whatever the situation. And if it's the body of Christ, the best interest for others to help them spiritually, to continue to act as we formerly did as sinners denies the radical change that the gospel even makes. Unreconciled relationships, they have a bad effect 
on the body of Christ. They had an they would have an adverse effect upon our worship. There must be reconciliation before we can even worship in unity and even harmony. Matthew 5, 23, 24, Jesus says, If therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and come and present your offering. And Paul states in Romans 15, 5 through 6, Now may the God of, who gives perseverance, he gives that, and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the essence of the Christian life is taking up your cross. It's a, it can be hard. Dying to self, it can be a challenge. Serving God by serving others. Plugging into a church so deeply that you're using your gifts to promote holiness, to promote God's ability and God's great sovereignty and the change hearts that he has done and how he links the body together and desires for it to be of one mind, one heart, one goal. Our goal is neither promote our own interest or to preserve our own stuff, but to sacrifice so that it all point in the direction of Christ. Now, I know I got the preaching a little bit there, <laughs> but that is so important. Even in our newspapers in Franklin County in Lewisburg, North Carolina, we read that this charismatic church, and we knew that what false teachers these people were, or being arrested for beating and abusing and just, oh, just a lot of bad stuff <coughs> to some of their members and some of them. One of them was uh, basically uh, handicapped and uh, just sad. And it was multiple, I think it was what, three different? The pastor was leading it. In what context, though? For what purpose? Did it beat the devil out of them? Or? We don't know. He no. didn't go into any detail. But it, was, it had their pictures and it had their crimes that they were charged with. And, you know, but. You know, this is no surprise. We know what Scripture teaches, the characteristic of the... I was eating breakfast Saturday morning, turned on the TV, and uh, I'll even watch a few cartoons while I'm eating breakfast sometimes on Saturday mornings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was going through my channels uh, and hear all these false teachers. Some of these people have been there for a long time. Well, and they're crying for money and claiming you don't have faith and you won't have the abilities to glorify God if you don't send your money and you're going to multiply, you're going to really expand your abilities to live for the Lord if you give us this amount. And if you give this amount, just imagine what God will do with you if you give that. And you're going to receive. It's all about selfishness and lies and misquoting Scripture. I turn to station went to another one. It was the same thing. Somebody I never even heard of. Exact same thing was going on. 
So it's sad, and the leaders, it goes back again, Paul is really loving his people, caring, although it might seem hard on them, he was really caring for them, bringing all this out to them, and the leaders should have been really involved with that. And we don't see that, we don't know about that yet. But anyway, we better stop there, and we'll continue with that, be the Lord will next week. Okay?